Welcome to Fast Asleep, a good night's sleep and a good story. Thank you for being here. We are about to conclude A.M. Burridge's short story. In one review, it is said that his ghost stories always keep on the right side of the line. I think you'll understand this today. So, if you don't make it to the end before you fall asleep, finish this one in the daylight. It makes a jump from eerie to endearing. So tuck in and enjoy the conclusion of Playmates. He was just in time to see a smile fading from her lips. He also saw by a slight convulsive movement of her shoulders that she was hiding something from him in the hands clasped behind her back. Hello, he said with a kind of forced geniality. What are you up to? And she said, nothing, but not as sullenly as it would once have been said. Come, said Everton. That is impossible. You were talking to yourself, Monica, and you should not do that. It is an idle and very, very foolish habit. You will go mad if you continue to do that. She let her head droop a little. I wasn't talking to myself, she said in a low, perhaps half playful tone, but very deliberately. Now that's nonsense. I heard you. I wasn't talking to myself. Well, you must have been. There is nobody else here. There isn't. Now. What do you mean now? They've gone. You frightened them, I expect. What do you mean? He repeated, advancing a step or two towards her. And whom do you call they? Next moment, he was angry with himself. His tone was, well, it was so heavy and serious, and the child was half laughing at him. It was as if she were triumphant at having inveigled him into taking a serious part in her own game of make-believe. You wouldn't understand, she said. Well, I understand this, that you're wasting your time in being a very silly little girl. What is that you're hiding behind your back? She held out her right hand at once, unclenched her fingers and disclosed a thimble. He looked at it and then into her face. Why did you hide that from me? He asked. There was no need. She gave him a faint, secretive smile. That new smile of hers before replying. We were playing with it and I didn't want you to know. You were playing with it, you mean. And why didn't you want me to know? About them. Because I thought you wouldn't understand, and you you, you don't understand. He saw that it was useless to affect anger or show impatience, so he spoke to her gently, even with an attempt at displaying sympathy. Mm. Who are they? he asked. They're just them. Other girls? I see. And they come and play with you, do they? And they run away whenever I'm about because they don't like me. Is that it? She shook her head. It isn't that they don't like you. 
I think they like everybody, but they're so shy. They were shy of me for a long, long time. I knew they were there, but it was weeks and weeks before they'd come and play with me. It was weeks before I even saw them. Yes. Well, uh, what are they like? Well, they're just girls, and they're awfully, awfully nice. Some are a bit older than me, and some are a bit younger, and they don't dress like other girls you see today. They're in a white with longer skirts, and they wear sashes. Everton inclined his head gravely. She got that out of the illustrations of books in the library, he reflected. You don't happen to know their names, I suppose, he asked, hoping that no quizzical note in his voice rang through the casual but sincere tone which he intended. Oh, yes, there's Mary Hewitt. I think I love her the best of all. And Elsie Power and... Mm, how many of them altogether? Seven. It's just a nice number. And this is the schoolroom where we play games. I love games. I wish I'd learned to play games before. And you've been playing with the thimble? Yes, hunt the thimble, they call it. One of us hides it, and then the rest of us try to find it, and the one that finds it hides it again. You mean you hide it yourself and then go and find it. Oh, the smile left her face at once, and the look in her eyes warned him that she was done with confidences. Ah, <sighs> she exclaimed. You don't understand, after all. I somehow knew you wouldn't. Everton, however, thought he did. His face wore a sudden smile of relief. Well, never mind, he said. But I shouldn't play too much if I were you. And with that, he left her. But curiosity tempted him, and not in vain, to linger and listen for a moment on the other side of the door, which he had closed behind him. And he heard Monica whisper, Mary, Elsie, come on, it's all right, he's gone now. At an answering whisper, very unlike Monica's, he started violently and oh, then found himself grinning at his own discomfiture. It was natural that Monica, playing many parts, should try to change her voice with every character. He went downstairs, sunk in a brown study, which brought him to certain interesting conclusions. A little later, he communicated these to Miss Gribben. I've discovered the cause of the change in Monica. She's invented for herself some imaginary friends. Other little girls, of course. Miss Gribben started slightly and looked up from the newspaper which she'd been reading. Really? she exclaimed. Isn't that rather an, an unhealthy sign? No, I should say not. Having imaginary friends is quite a common symptom of childhood, especially among young girls. I remember my sister used to have one and was very angry when none of the rest of us would take the matter seriously. In Monica's case, I should say it was perfectly normal. Normal, but interesting. She must have inherited an imagination from that father of hers, with the result that she has seven imaginary friends, all properly named, if you please, you see, being lonely and having no friends of her own age, she would naturally invent more than one friend. 
They are all nicely and primly dressed, I must tell you, out of Victorian books, which she's found in the library. Well, it can't be healthy, said Miss Gribben, pursing her lips. And I can't understand how she has learned certain expressions and certain style of talking and games, all out of books, and pretends to herself that they have taught her. But the most interesting part of the affair is this. It's given me my first practical experience of telepathy, of the existence of which I have hitherto been uh, rather skeptical. Since Monica invented this new game, and before I was aware that she had done so, I have had, at different times, distinct impressions of there being a lot of little girls about this house. Oh, Miss Gribben started and stared. Her lips parted as if she were about to speak, but it was as if she had changed her mind while framing the first word she had been about to utter. Monica, he continued smiling, invented these friends and has been making me, telepathically, aware of them too. Why, I have lately been most concerned about the state of my nerves. Miss Gribben jumped up as if in anger, but her brow was smooth and her mouth dropped at the corners. Mr. Everton, she said, I wish you had not told me all this. Her lips worked. You see, she added a bit unsteadily, you see, I don't believe in telepathy. Easter, which fell early that year, brought little Gladys Parslow home for the holidays to the vicarage. The event was shortly afterwards signalized by a note from the vicar to Everton, inviting him to send Monica down to have tea and play games with his little daughter on the following Wednesday. Ah, the invitation was an annoyance and an embarrassment to Everton. Here was the disturbing factor, mm -hmm. the outside influence, which might possibly thwart his experiment in the upbringing of Monica. He was free, of course, simply to decline the invitation so coldly and briefly as to make sure that it was not to be repeated. But Everton was not strong enough to stand on his own feet impervious to the winds of criticism. He was sensitive and had little wish to seem churlish, still less to appear ridiculous. Taking the line of least resistance, he began to reason that one child, herself no older than Monica, and in the atmosphere of her own home, could make but little impression. It ended in his allowing Monica to go. Monica herself seemed pleased at the prospect of going, but expressed her pleasure in a discreet, restrained, grown-up way. Miss Gribben accompanied her as far as the vicarage doorstep, arriving with her punctually at half-past three on a sullen and muggy afternoon, and handed her over to the woman of all work who answered the summons at the door. Miss Gribben reported to Everton on her return. 
an idea which she conceived to be humorous had possession of her mind, and in talking to Everton, she uttered one of her infrequent laughs. I only left her at the door, she said, so I didn't see her meet the other little girl. Oh, I wish I'd stayed to see that. It must have been funny. She irritated Everton by speaking exactly as if Monica were a captive animal, which had just been shown for the first time in its life another of its own kind. The analogy thus conveyed to Everton was close enough to make him wince. He felt something like a twinge of conscience, and it may have been then that he asked himself for the first time if he were being fair to Monica. It had never occurred, not once, to him to ask himself if she were happy. The truth was that he understood children so little as to suppose that physical cruelty was the one kind of cruelty from which they were capable of suffering. Had he ever before troubled to ask himself if Monica were happy? He had probably given the question a curt dismissal with the thought that, well, she had no right to be otherwise. He had given her a good home, even luxuries, together with every opportunity to develop her mind. For companions, why, she had himself, Miss Gribben, and to a limited extent, the servants. Uh, but that picture, conjured up by Miss Gribben's words with their accompaniment of unreasonable laughter, hmm, the little creature meeting for the first time another little creature of its own kind, and looking bewildered, knowing neither what to do or say. There was pathos in that, uncomfortable pathos for Everton. Those imaginary friends, did they really mean that Monica had needs of which he knew nothing of, which he'd never troubled to learn? Now, he was not an unkind man, and it hurt him to suspect that he might have committed an unkindness. The modern children whose behavior and manners he disliked were perhaps only obeying some inexorable law of evolution. Suppose in keeping Monica from their companionship, he were actually flying in the face of nature. Suppose, after all, if Monica were to be natural, she must go unhindered on the tide of her generation. He compromised with himself, pacing the little study. He would watch Monica much more closely, question her when he had the chance, and then, if he found she were not happy and really needed the companionship of other children, well, he would see what could be done. But when Monica returned home from the vicarage, it was quite plain that she had not enjoyed herself. She was subdued and said very little about the experience. Quite obviously, the two little girls had not made very good friends. Questioned, Monica confessed that she did not like Gladys much. She said this very thoughtfully with a little pause before the adverb. 
Well, why don't you like her? Everton demanded, bluntly. I don't know. She's so funny. She's not like other girls. And what do you know about other girls? He demanded, faintly amused. Well, she's not a bit like... Monica paused suddenly and lowered her gaze. Not like your friends, you mean, Everton asked. She gave him a quick, penetrating little glance and then lowered her gaze once more. No, she said. Not a bit. She wouldn't be, of course. Everton teased the child with no more questions for the time being and let her go. She ran off at once to the great empty room. There, to seek that uncanny companionship which had come to, survive, to suffice her. For the moment, Everton was satisfied. Monica was perfectly happy as she was and had no need of Gladys or probably any other child friends. His experiment with her was shaping successfully. She had invented her own young friends and had gone off eagerly to play with the creations of her own fancy. And this seemed very well at first. Everton reflected that it was just what he would have wished. Until he realized suddenly with a little shock of discomfort that it was not normal and it was not healthy. Although Monica plainly had no great desire to see any more of Gladys Parslow, Common civility made it necessary for the vicar's little daughter to be asked to pay a return visit. Most likely Gladys Parslow was as unwilling to come as was Monica to entertain her. Stern discipline, however, presented her at the appointed time on an afternoon prearranged by correspondence when Monica received her coldly and with dignity tempered by a sort of grown-up graciousness. Monica bore her guest away to the big, empty room. And that was the last of Gladys Parslow, seen by Everton or Miss Gribben that afternoon. Monica appeared alone when the gong sounded for tea and announced in a subdued tone that Gladys had already gone home. Well, did you quarrel with her? Miss Gribben asked quickly. No. Then why has she gone like this? She was stupid, said Monica simply. That's all. Well, perhaps it was you who was stupid. Why did she go? She got frightened. Frightened? She didn't like my friends. Miss Gribben exchanged glances with Everton. She didn't like a silly little girl who talks to herself and imagines things. Well, no wonder she was frightened. She didn't think they were real at first and laughed at me, said Monica, sitting down. Well, naturally. And then when she saw them, Miss Gribben and Everton interrupted her simultaneously, repeating in unison and with well-matched astonishment her two last words. Saw them. And when she saw them, Monica continued unperturbed, she didn't like it. I think she was frightened. Anyhow, she said she wouldn't stay and went straight off home. I think she's a stupid girl. We all had a good laugh about her after she was gone. She spoke in her ordinary matter-of-fact tones, and 
if she were secretly pleased at the state of the perturbation into which her last words had obviously thrown Miss Gribbon, she gave no sign of it. Miss Gribbon immediately exhibited outward signs of anger. You are a very naughty child to tell such untruths. You know perfectly well that Gladys couldn't have seen your friends. You have simply frightened her by pretending to talk to people who weren't there. And it will serve you right if she never comes to play with you again. Oh, she won't, said Monica. And she did see them, Miss Gribbon. How do you know, Everton asked. By her face. And she spoke to them, too, when she ran to the door. They were very shy at first because Gladys was there. They wouldn't come for a long time, but I begged them. And at last, they did. Everton checked another outburst from Miss Gribbon with a look. He wanted to learn more. And to that end, he applied some show of patience and gentleness. Where did they come from? he asked. From outside the door? Oh, no. From where they always come. Mm, and, and where's that? I don't know. They don't seem to know themselves. It's always from some direction where I'm not looking. Isn't it strange? Oh, very. And do they disappear in the same way? Monica frowned very seriously and thoughtfully. It's so quick, you can't tell where they go. And when you or Miss Gribbon come in? Oh, yes, they always fly on our approach, of course. But why? Oh, well, because they're dreadfully, dreadfully shy. But not so shy as they were. Perhaps soon they'll get used to you and not mind at all. Well, that's a comforting thought, said Everton with a dry laugh. When Monica had taken her tea and departed, Everton turned to his secretary. You're wrong to blame the child. These creatures of her fancy are perfectly real to her. Her powers of suggestion have been strong enough to force them to some extent on me. The little Parslow girl, being younger and more receptive, actually sees them. It is a clear case of telepathy and auto-suggestion. I've never studied such matters, but I should say that these instances are of some scientific interest. Miss Gribbon's lips tightened, and he saw her shiver slightly. Mr. Parslow will be angry, was all she said. Well, I really cannot help that. Perhaps it's all the best. If Monica does not like his little daughter, well, they'd better not be brought together again. For all that, Everton was a little embarrassed when on the following morning he met the vicar out walking. If the Reverend Parslow knew that his little daughter had left the house so unceremoniously on the preceding day, he would either wish to make an apology or perhaps require one, according to his view of the situation. Everton did not wish to deal in apologies one way or the other. He did not care to discuss the vagaries of children, and altogether he wanted to have as little to do with Mr. Parslow as was conveniently possible. He would have passed with a brief acknowledgement of the vicar's existence, but mm, as he had feared, the vicar stopped him. Oh, I had been meaning to come and see you, said the Reverend Parslow. Everton halted and sighed inaudibly. 
thinking that perhaps this casual meeting out of doors might, after all, have saved him something. Oh, yes, he said. I will walk in your direction if I may, the vicar eyed him anxiously. There is something you must certainly be told. I don't know if you guess or if you already know. If not, I don't know how you will take it. I really don't. Now Everton looked puzzled. Whichever child the vicar might blame for the hurried departure of Gladys, there seemed no cause for such a portentous face and manner. Really? he asked. Well, is it something serious? I think so, Mr. Everton. You are aware, of course, that my little girl left your house yesterday afternoon with some lack of ceremony. Well, yes, Monica told us she had gone. If they could not agree, it was surely the best thing she could have done. Now, it may sound inhospitable of me to say this, but excuse me, Mr. Parslow, I hope you're not trying to embroil me in a quarrel between children. The vicar stared in his turn. I am not, he said, and I am unaware that there was any quarrel. I was going to ask you to forgive Gladys. Well, there was some excuse, of course, for her lack of ceremony. She was badly frightened, poor child. Oh, well, then it is my turn to express regret. I had Monica's version of what happened. Monica has been left a great deal to her own resources, and, well, having no playmates of her own, she seems to have invented some. Ah, said the Reverend Parslow, drawing a deep breath. Unfortunately, Everton continued, Monica has an uncomfortable gift for impressing her fancies on other people. I have often thought I felt the presence of children about the house, and so I am almost sure has Miss Gribben. I'm afraid that when your little girl came to play with her yesterday afternoon, Monica well, she scared her by introducing her invisible friends and by talking to imaginary and therefore invisible little girls. The vicar laid a hand on Everton's arm. There is something more in it than that. Gladys is not an imaginative child. She is indeed a practical little person. I have never yet known her to tell me a lie. What would you say, Mr. Everton, if I were to tell you that Gladys positively asserts that she saw those other children? Something like a cold draft went through Everton, an ugly suspicion, vague and almost shapeless, began to move in dim recesses of his mind. He tried to shake himself free of it, to smile and to speak lightly. Oh, well, I shouldn't be in the least surprised. Nobody knows the limit of telepathy and auto-suggestion. If I can feel the presence of children myself, whom Monica has created out of her own imagination, why shouldn't your daughter, who is probably more receptive and impressionable than I am, why shouldn't she be able to see them? The Reverend Parslow shook his head. 
Do you really mean that? He asked. Doesn't it seem to you a little far-fetched? Oh, well, now everything we don't understand must seem far-fetched. If, Why, if one had dared to talk of wireless 30 years ago, Mr. Everton, do you know that your house was once a girl's school? Once more, Everton experienced that vague feeling of discomfiture. I, well, I didn't know, he said, still indifferently. My aunt, whom I never saw, she was there. Indeed, she died there. And there were seven who died. Diphtheria broke out there many years ago. Well, it ruined the school, which was shortly afterwards closed. Did you know that, Mr. Everton? And my aunt's name was Mary Hewitt. Oh, good God! Everton cried out sharply. Good God. Uh-huh, said Parslow. Now, you begin to see. Everton, suddenly a little giddy, passed a hand across his forehead. Why, that is one of the names Monica told me, he faltered. How, how could she know? How indeed. And Mary Hewitt's great friend was Elsie Power. They died within a few hours of each other. Oh, that name too, she told me. And there were seven. How could she have known? Why, even the people around here wouldn't have remembered names after all these years. Well, Gladys knew them, but that was only partly why she was afraid. Yet, you know, I think she was more odd than afraid, because she knew instinctively that the children who came to play with little Monica, although they were not of this world, were good children, blessed children. Well, why are you telling telling me this? Everton burst out. Oh, now, don't be afraid, Mr. Everton. You're not afraid, are you? If those whom we call dead still remain close to us, What more natural than these children should come back to play with a lonely little girl who lacked human playmates? It may seem inconceivable, but how else explain it? How could little Monica have invented those two names? Why, how could she have learned that seven little girls once died in your house? Only the very old people about here remember it, and even if they could not tell you how many died... And they wouldn't know the names of every one of the little victims. Have you noticed a change in your ward since first she began to imagine them as you thought? Everton nodded heavily. Yes, he said almost unwittingly. Yes, she she learned all sorts of tricks of speech and childish gestures she'd never had before and games I couldn't understand. Mr. Parslow, what in God's name am I to do? The Reverend Parslow still kept a hand on Everton's arm. If I were you, I should send her off to school. Well, it may not be very good for her. Not very good for her, but the children, you say. Children. Hmm. I might should say 
angels. They will never harm her, but Monica is now developing a gift of seeing and conversing with, well, with beings that are invisible and inaudible to others, and it is not a gift to be encouraged. She may in time see and converse with others, wretched souls who are not God's children. Now, she may lose the faculty if she mixes with others of her age. Out of her need, I am sure, these came to her. I, I must think, said Everton. He walked on dazedly. In a moment or two, the whole aspect of his life had changed, had grown clearer, as if he had been blind from birth and was now given the first glimmering of light. He looked forward no longer into the face of a blank and featureless wall, but through a curtain beyond which life manifested itself vaguely, but at least perceptibly. His footfalls on the ground beat out the words, there is no death. There is no death. That evening after dinner, he sent for Monica and spoke to her in an unaccustomed way. He was strangely shy of her, and his hand, which he rested on one of her slim shoulders, lay there awkwardly. Do you know what I'm going to do with you, young woman? He said. I'm going to pack you off to school. Oh, oh, she stared at him half smiling. Are you really? Do you want to go? She considered the matter, frowning and staring at the tips of her fingers. I, I don't know. I don't want to leave them. Who? He asked. Oh, you know, she said and turned her head half shyly. What? Your friends. Your friends, Monica? Yes. Wouldn't you like other playmates? I don't, I don't know. I love them. I love them, you see. But they said, they said I ought to go to school if you ever sent me. They might be angry with me if I was to ask you to let me stay. They wanted me to play with other girls who aren't, well, aren't like they are. Because, you know, they are different from children that everybody can see. And Mary, Mary told me not to, not to encourage anybody else who was different like them. Everton drew a deep breath. Well, we'll have a talk tomorrow about finding a school for you, Monica, he said. You run off to bed now. Good night, my dear. He hesitated, and then he touched her forehead with his lips. She ran from him, nearly as shy as Everton himself, tossing back her long hair. But from the door, she gave him the strangest little brimming glance. And there was that in her eyes which he had never seen before. Late that night, Everton entered the great empty room which Monica had named the schoolroom. 
a flag of moonlight from the window lay across the floor, and it was empty to the gaze, but the deep shadows hid little shy presences of which some unnamed and undeveloped sense in the man was acutely aware. Children, he whispered, children. He closed his eyes and stretched out his hands. Still they were shy and held aloof, but he fancied that they came a little nearer. Please don't be afraid, he whispered. I'm only a very lonely man. Be near me after Monica is gone. He paused, waiting. Then as he turned away, he was aware of little caressing hands upon his arms. He looked around at once, but the time had not yet come for him to see. He saw only the barred window, the shadows on either wall, and the flag of moonlight. Good night.